It's Easter Sunday, the most important and significant of all the Christian holidays throughout the year. Easter, folks, essentially defines Christianity. It's literally the, the centerpiece of our faith, the centerpiece of what we believe. And on Good Friday, we reflected on Christ's death on the cross and how his death transformed the cross, a Roman torture tool that represents death and suffering, essentially into an icon that symbolizes life and forgiveness and hope and salvation. Easter Sunday is literally the evidence that the truth of forgiveness and hope and salvation have actually become a reality. You see, we Christians believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross on Friday afternoon, and then he literally and physically rose from the dead on Sunday morning. I know we've already heard uh, the, the resurrection story read from the Gospel of John, but I want to read also Luke's account of the same story. And so we can open our Bibles to Luke chapter 24, uh, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 12. Listen to how Luke accounts this story. He says, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, and so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. Now, take a step back for a second and just look at that. They go into the tomb, they see the stone is rolled away. That's freak out moment number one. Then they go into the tomb, and they don't find anything. And then, boom! Two men suddenly appear clothed in dazzling robes. Like, is this not a moment? Listen to the narrative, right? It says, literally, the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. They knew that these were angels or some, something holy from God. It says, then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember that he took you back, he told you back, what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. And guess what? It's the third day. The text goes on to say, Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell the eleven disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. Now that is actually an important historical fact, that the women were the ones who first witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. And so we'll get into that a little bit later in the sermon, but that is actually important. Luke is telling us that for a very specific reason. Now, the text goes on to say, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men. They didn't believe the women. That's the culture at their time. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. And then he went home again, wondering what had happened. 
Imagine like that's Peter's response. He, he doesn't believe the women, but he's curious. And so he runs to the tomb. He sees the empty, empty linen wrappings and he went home again, wondering what had happened. The resurrection in many ways was really difficult for people to believe, especially at this point where they're perplexed and they're trying to figure out what is happening. It's important that you put yourself into that narrative and that as we walk through today's sermon, you're living within that narrative, living within that tension of just how difficult this actually would be to process. Now, the reason I want you to do that is because one thing we have to understand about the Christian faith is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what we call an essential belief. When it comes to the Christian faith, essential beliefs are the things that all Christians believe. All Christians, in order to be a Christian, believe that Jesus Christ died on the Friday and that he rose on the Sunday. It's, it's just, it's supposed to be great news. Like you, you saw in the sermon bumper, the people receiving the text messages. And, and I wonder if today, this news of the resurrection, the coming of Easter Sunday, if it's actually as good a news today as it would have been 2,000 years ago. Because I would argue that it actually is. And the reason I would argue that is because if there was no resurrection, there would literally be no Christian faith. And so this is really exciting. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what brought the Christian faith to be. No resurrection, no Jesus, no Christian faith. You see, if Jesus was still in the tomb, if he was still dead today, there's no evidence at all that our sins have been forgiven and that we've been fully and freely forgiven by Jesus Christ. There's no evidence that we've been made right with God then without the resurrection. You see, if the resurrection isn't true, then death is actually still reigning. Death is still ruling over all of humanity, over God's creation. And so we're not celebrating death, we'd be mourning death. But because of the resurrection, today as Christians, we look at death completely different and we celebrate the life that we lived here on earth, but we also celebrate that death has not won, that death has not conquered us that we live eternally with Jesus Christ because he lives today. It's the resurrection that actually shows that the bill has been paid in full, that our debt has been paid in full. I actually like to phrase it a little bit differently than that. Our debt isn't just paid, but it's actually been completely forgiven. Because I think there's a difference. I think if someone else goes and they pay your debt for you, the debt was paid, it wasn't actually forgiven. Jesus Christ actually went to the bank for you and got them to give, to, to let you free of your debt, to just no one paid it at all. You're now freely forgiven of that debt. Your debt has actually been canceled is the way that we look at that theologically. He didn't just pay it, it's actually gone. He wiped it out. That's what true forgiveness actually is. And the resurrection, it proves that sin and death have actually been defeated. That, like I said, we can celebrate our life here on earth, but that we celebrate as Christians our life with Jesus in heaven. 
Now, I actually think that this resurrection should, should be the centerpiece of all of our celebrations, not just a once a year kind of long weekend sort of thing, but that we should be celebrating Good Friday and Easter weekly, every time we gather actually as Christians. And I, I, part of that is because we often focus on the life of Jesus, and then we focus on the death of Jesus. Jesus died for me so that I could live. Jesus died so that I could be forgiven. But what actually triggered all of that, what brought evidence to all of that, is his actual resurrection. Again, no resurrection, no forgiveness, no resurrection. Death has not been conquered. The resurrection is quite literally proof that all of those things that we claim in Christianity are true. If it's true, you see, then it's all true. But if the resurrection itself isn't true, then none of it is. The resurrection is part of the joy of being a Christian. It's what sets us apart from all the different religions Our leader is alive. Death has not conquered him. And so as Christ has risen, we also rise with him. It's the truth showing us eternal life. Now, the good news of the gospel is that our sins have been forgiven. Death has been defeated. And how do we know those things are good news? The resurrection is the proof of it. Now, There have been many secular scholars. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is actually a hot topic in scholarship. And so there's been many secular scholars, by that I mean people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, that have studied the claims by the church of Jesus' resurrection, and they see it to be a false claim. And so I quickly want to take a look at what these claims, the arguments that scholars, these are are the people who study this, research this, what some of their arguments are against the resurrection. The first argument that most people make is that they went to the wrong tomb. Now, I find this funny because this theory around debunking the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is essentially based on the fact that these ladies were so distraught in their grief that they showed up at the wrong tomb, that they didn't actually, uh, in grief, understand where Jesus was actually buried, and that they ran back and they told the other guys, and that Peter then also, in his grief, ran to the wrong tomb. Now, I know that this would have been stressful for the disciples at the time, and I'm not trying to deny that what they've experienced was traumatic, But if they just went to the wrong tomb, as Christianity began to spread, wouldn't the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans who were trying to destroy the Christian faith, wouldn't they have just actually found the right tomb and then rolled his body out and said like, hey, like morons, you you went to the wrong tomb. Here's his body right here. Now stop this nonsense. But you see, none of that actually happened. They didn't do that because there was no body to be found at any tomb. Now, one of the second popular things is that the followers were so filled with grief that they actually hallucinated that they saw Jesus. Now, again, I know that they suffered traumatic loss. Maybe they had lacked sleep. Maybe they even kind of got into 
some of the wedding wine or something a little too much. I don't know, but, but hallucinations, that they actually hallucinated Jesus? You see, the problem with that is that Jesus in his resurrected body appeared not just to, to a guy over here or just to the 12 or 11 disciples over here, but he appeared in front of hundreds of people. So hundreds of people are having some mass hallucination. There actually scientifically isn't a lot of evidence that group hallucination can actually occur. He sat down with them. He ate with them for 40 days. He walked with them. And then all of a sudden, for 40 days, they were hallucinating these things. And all of a sudden, it was just over. It just doesn't make sense to me. And these are the scholars that are working through this, trying to deny the resurrection. Now, the third theory, and this is the one actually that has the most traction in today's uh, scholarship, is the swoon theory. The swoon theory is that Jesus, having been severely beaten, hanging on the cross, blacked out because of the loss of blood, and because of the beatings he had endured, they mistakenly believed that he was dead, and they pulled him down and buried him alive. That Jesus wasn't actually dead, that it wasn't over, that they buried him alive. And that, that he then somehow was able to get himself out of the tomb. This is real stuff, folks. This is really what some scholars have studied and argued. Now, maybe Jesus just, just kind of swooned and, and then just didn't, come back to life and just kind of pulled himself together, crawled out, somehow miraculously moved a stone, and then, like, where did he go? How come we still haven't been able to find him or prove that Jesus is actually still dead? Now, this theory, the fourth theory, is one that probably many of us have heard before, that the body was actually stolen, that this is one gigantic conspiracy theory uh, that's been going on for over 2,000 years. That his disciples stole the body of Jesus and then they made up the resurrection so that they could further their master's teachings, that they could claim him to be the Messiah, but that he truly wasn't. Now, the problem with this theory is that scripture often shows us that even the disciples didn't understand what was going on most of the time. They just couldn't possibly be that good of fakers to keep a secret for the thousands of years that it's been kept. Even during the account of Christ's death, we actually see the disciples hiding like cowards. So do, so do we really think that they somehow have concocted a story where they stole the body and came up with the, the greatest deception ever? Like, keep it in mind, Peter and many of the apostles actually had wives. These are men who have families. Nobody recounts, like, like recants their story. Nobody, like, during persecution is like, okay, it was all a lie. No, everybody sticks to their story. So had they stolen him, you'd think somebody would have given up on the conspiracy. And then there's the problem of getting past the guards. Somehow they got past the guards, they stole his body, and yet kept the story alive all these years? That kind of seems hard to believe, and it seems a little ab absurd. Now, some historians, 
move that story a little further, and they say, no, what actually happened wasn't that the disciples stole the body, because, of course, they'd been too incompetent for that. What happened is, is that the authorities actually hid the body so that the disciples couldn't take the body, so that they themselves couldn't steal it. Again, like, aren't we trying a little too hard to not believe here? If the authorities took the body, then as Christians, as Christianity began to spread, wouldn't they just destroy Christianity by presenting the body? But that's never happened. And yet, these are the top four secular reasons uh, of why people don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now I want to look at a few reasons uh, that we have good proof of the resurrection. And so we'll start with biblical evidence of the resurrection. There's a ton of biblical evidence of the resurrection. The Old Testament prophets, they predict that the coming Messiah will die and he'll be brought back from death. We, we don't have, have time in our gathering this morning to go over this, but I would really encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 53, because in Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet Isaiah is essentially breaking down not only the cross, but what will occur after the cross, most importantly, the resurrection of the Messiah. And then Jesus himself taught at least four times, just on the road to Jerusalem, that when, he, when they got to Jerusalem, he would be arrested by the high priests and he would be turned over to the Gentiles and that he would be flogged and he would be murdered and he would be raised from the dead. He actually teaches this to his disciples in stunning detail. Let's very quickly took, take a look at a few of those passages. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, listen to what Jesus says. It says, Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law, and that he would be killed, but three days later he would raise from the dead. In Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 32, it says, Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know that he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He'll be killed, but three days later he will raise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying. However, they were afraid to ask him what he meant. And if we go on in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, it says they were now on their way up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people followed behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They'll sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They'll mock him, spit on him, flog him, whip him, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. So Jesus is teaching what's about to come to his disciples. And biblically speaking, you have the Old Testament that testifies that this is exactly what's supposed to happen. And then in Jesus' own teachings, he's saying, I'll die 
and I'll come back to life three days later. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, when presented by the apostles and other biblical writers, is very rarely argued as, have faith in this, believe something that you never saw. It's actually spoken about biblically is, here's the things I saw. If you don't believe me, talk to those who saw it themselves. The Apostle Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 6. He says, I pass on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom, Paul says, are still alive, though some of them have died. That's Paul's way of saying, if you don't believe what I'm teaching you, then go and ask the people who witnessed it for themselves. Paul's argument around the resurrection is that there's at least 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive. I'm not making this stuff up. You can go ask somebody else. Now, there's also what's called historical circumstantial evidence. And this is, this is actually um, some of the biggest evidence of the resurrection is actually what the resurrection cost, the circumstances, the evidence of how it transformed people. The utter and complete transformation of the disciples is a huge part of that. As I've already covered, these men were, were cowardly when Jesus was arrested. They, they weren't always the sharpest knives in the drawer, and yet sometimes, uh, and, and yet something happens to them after they experienced the resurrection. Like, look at Peter, for instance. Peter denied Jesus three times and basically becomes a coward hiding from the authorities. Then this same man stands up about 60 days later at Pentecost and preaches his guts out, testifying the death and resurrection of the Messiah, that Jesus is alive. Now, this enrages the powers to be, and they, they brought him before them, and they told him, Peter, quit teaching about Jesus. We have the same power to do to you what you did to him. Stop teaching this nonsense. And what does Peter do? He teaches it anyway. He says, judge for yourselves what's right and wrong, but as for us, we can't help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard the disciples are completely convinced. Thousands of people are completely convinced that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Now, even greater evidence than that is Jesus, his, his own family believed that he was God. Now, this is interesting because during the gospel narrative, his family didn't believe that he was God. It was actually as after his resurrection that they started to believe. Did you know that Jesus' half-brother James actually didn't become a Christian until after the resurrection, after Jesus had died and risen again? And he actually becomes one of the most prominent pastors at the church in Jerusalem. And did you know that he was also martyred, that he was killed for believing that Jesus' brother was God in the flesh? James believed that his half-brother was the Son of God so much so that they actually pulled him up to the Temple Mount, 
told him to recant what he was saying, and he refused. He believed it so much that he let them throw him off the mountain, and he landed, fractured both of his legs, lying there bleeding out. He is literally praying for the mob that's trying to kill him. And this him praying enrages a guy who picks up a blunt object and crushes James's head. This is how James died. And he could have just said, yeah, you're right, it's all a conspiracy. He didn't really raise from the dead. But how do you do that when you actually really believe that he did? And so that's proof that James gave his life believing the truth of the resurrection. Now, another interesting piece to this is that the women were the ones who discovered him in the tomb. And the reason that that's interesting and why it really doesn't register us with us much today is because we live, uh, we don't live in the first century. We live in 2021, where women's testimony would be completely admissible in a court of law. But in the first century, a woman's testimony was not admissible. If a woman saw who did a crime, you couldn't ask that woman to testify on your behalf because the court would not accept a woman's testimony. So the fact that it was the woman who first testified tells us that others must have also witnessed Jesus alive after his death, or it never would have been believed. If it only started with the women and it stopped there, they wouldn't have believed it. And so that's proof that it expanded well beyond the women, that other people believed and experienced this. And then there's the fact that worship for the Jews was actually focused on Saturday. Saturday was the Sabbath, but the focus of worship moved off of Saturday for the early Christians, and they practiced, which they'd practiced for thousands of years under the Ten Commandments, but they moved their celebration of life to Sunday. And it was moved because the church celebrated the resurrection weekly on Sunday because Sunday was the day that Jesus was resurrected. He died on Friday. He rose on Sunday. And that's why we meet for church on Sundays. And then there's the evidence about other evidence, other evidence outside of the Bible, that there's actual historians that have, are, are not Christians that wrote about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, first century writers such as Josephus, Plinary the Younger, and Saltius, they all wrote about the resurrection of Jesus Christ historically and how some of the weird things that happened in the temple upon Jesus' death, for example, the curtain being torn. They write about those uh, stories, and this is extra-biblical evidence. This is outside of the Bible. These are just Jewish historians writing about events that are happening. Now, there's a lot more evidence that like, I just don't have time to get into today, but ultimately, what I really think it boils down to is really this. Do you want the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be true? Do you recognize how important it is to be true? You see, ultimately, if this is true, and I believe that historically, biblically, and, and in every way that it is, if Easter's true, then our sins are legitimately forgiven. That our sins, they needed to be handled, but they were completely handled through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus was resurrected from the grave, then what that resurrection means 
is that death has been defeated, and the Bible tells us that death is the result of sin. Therefore, death has been defeated through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The resurrection brings those brings life to those who believe and hope that there is life after death, that we don't just live this life and then it's over. The resurrection proves that everything Jesus taught was true and that he really was God in the flesh, God in the form of a human being. So really the question today is, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Is the story of Jesus coming back from the dead really important news in your life? Is it central to what you believe? If you receive a text message this morning that says, he is alive, would it bring you to tears? Would it bring you an overwhelming joy that you would see it as a really big deal? It should be. Because it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes forgiveness possible, and makes grace a part of every Christian's lives. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can now live our lives with the security of knowing that evil will not win, that good will prevail, and that we will live our lives forever in the presence of the creator of the heavens and the earth. If you received a text this morning that said he is alive, Would you go running to the church to celebrate with others who believe? I pray that the Easter holiday hasn't just become time off of work or a time that you come to church once a year and are bored with it. I pray that Jesus being alive is the greatest news that we could ever receive even today. And I hope that none of us will ever take that news 